Welcome to The Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every other week to discuss a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us. question of the hour is uh have either of you ever played pickleball Ooh, it's huge in south florida have right you played now. pickleball is that, massive that's because there's so many old people there i have not played it but <laughs> it's not just it's, for old people but there are a lot of old it, people. okay my mother was like an early adopter of pickleball because she and all her like book club friends played it so well okay i it's just i like wanted to take tennis. the temperature it is paddle tennis if you grew up in the northeast it's the same thing isn't it dave it's no for it's, our two listeners that grew up in the northeast you'll be familiar <laughs> it's not just it's not a, it's it's a it's a cousin to paddle tennis if those okay. are those you who are listening but i just wanted to take the temperature before we jump into these articles because we will be talking about pickleball today oh my gosh i thought okay. it was a subject that we uh no one would think that we'd be talking about pickle. i pulled a sarah today and didn't read the articles so i'm excited oh <laughs> well, before we get into it though how are how are you guys doing what's the what's the latest in uh you know the 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 rutkarian Heyman household we had a, we had a cool morning uh we saw a fox this morning Marshall oh. and I, like in our We're neighborhood, in and we pulled a out, there's a fox right there, and I... then we got down, I will say, we drive along the uh, intercoastal waterway every day on the way to school, mm. and the sunrise is amazing, and Marshall goes, mm. Dad, this is the best day. We just saw a fox, and the sky is like lava. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good it was a good start to the day with my five. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. That's great. I mean, what about you, sir? Uh, it's been a really bad week. I'll be honest with you. I was debating oh, as to whether or not to say, like, just be honest. But it's mm. been like bring us down a notch. Grief is just weird. Like last week was so good, and then I think it's because we're headed into like All Souls, All Saints, which I'm so grateful for, and also is such a like kind of reality check, right? And and mm -hmm. it as a Christian really kind of feels like the beginning of the secular or otherwise like holiday season. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just been it's been a hard week. I'll be like mm. it, very like jarring. Um, I finally just let myself sleep for like two hours yesterday, and that helped a lot. But I think the thing with uh, grief that's really scary is like when you when it's sudden like that and like the for the first couple weeks like I didn't get off the couch really at all because I was so yeah. sad there's part of me that's like worried that's going to happen again so mm. anyway it's just been like bizarre but um but I'm coming out of it which is great and I I think I learned like the next time I just need to let myself sleep for two hours and um so there's yeah. grief and then there's worry about future grief is that what 100%. you're saying percent yeah, yeah because you don't want to be um i mean i still have these children i'm raising like you know like i'm worried i'll get like lost i, I have so much more um empathy for people with depression than i think i ever had before because because mm. you because you are like i'm about to slip off a precipice how you know what's happening uh, um yeah it's just very strange so um, yeah, but that's why I'm in therapy. It's very yeah. helpful, you know, to have conversations about, about that. Uh, but yeah, it's been a weird week. I'll, uh, yeah. Oh. yeah. On my end, Dave, um, how about you? Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> we're, we're I didn't really mean it. I just knew I had to ask. So. <laughs> well, I'll, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I uh, is we're recording this right before Halloween, and if you, I've you know my children are in this kind of Halloween sweet spot of eleven, nine, and five, yeah. and so a lot of energy around costumes and candy and you know stuff they're doing at school, and it's just it's kind of a I, I sort of consider it to be the more magical holiday uh, at this point, since it's not, it's not just sort of lists of things they want, um, simply because of the grace of just going around to these places that are sort of off limits normally, and, and then people just handing you free gifts as you sort of play around with, you know, you, 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 with how you look, and, and yeah. they're, they're just the imagination part of it, I, I don't know, it's a really, it, it, it it, they do it really well here, and so um, I feel like last year. Remember, we we talked about this because everyone was so yearning for like a win mm. yeah. during that time of COVID, and so they did all this sort of distanced. You know, people made up these huge tubes, and you know, even like conveyor belts and gondolas for Snickers, and it was it was pretty pretty neat actually. So who knows what this year will bring? But that's what's going on in my life. Also, uh, working on. Um, uh, just continuing to do revisions on the book, mm-hmm. and we're we're wrapping up the aging issue of the Mockingbird magazine, which I think you guys there's a Dear Gracie, which is Sarah's column. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Oh, I get to sweet. I get to write about midlife crises, which I don't know anything about. <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, so that's been fun. But you know, speaking of. Uh, you know, inappropriate behavior as a 40 year old man, or it's, I think it's become more appropriate. I played pickleball and I loved it. I thought pickleball. I love that journey for you, Dave. Well, it was a sort of a thing that my, my wife, uh, loves tennis and we were looking for something to do together and like, you you kind of do it with other couples. You can learn it in like half an hour. It's it's more, it's like RJ, it's more of a mix between, Ping um, pong, ping pong, and paddle tennis, and Sarah, you, it's like I, 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 you know, everyone who plays pickleball tells everyone else to play pickleball, which is I like the evangelistic aspect of it. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. and there's something. Uh, the reason I mentioned pickleball is because of this first article that is from Vanity Fair. How pickleball won over everyone from Leonardo DiCaprio to your grandparents. <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. Out of nowhere, pickleball is everywhere. This sneaky, fast amalgam of tennis, badminton, and ping pong has been embraced by Larry David, Melinda Gates, Jamie Foxx, the Kardashians, Owen Wilson, Jillian Michaels, Zach Braff. Pro athletes from Russell Wilson to Annika Sorenstam have mastered the dink and drive. Games break out in the Chicago Cubs bullpen. Reese Witherspoon mentioned pickleball in a birthday post to husband Jim Toth. If these names and places evoke an idea of exclusivity, remember that pickleball is just a goofy-sounding game featuring plastic balls and composite paddles on a hard surface, roughly a third the size of a tennis court. It's easy to learn, I promise. It's also accessible, affordable, and allows an almost unparalleled competitive balance across generations and genders. But get this, between 2019 and 2020, pickleball participation grew by a staggering 21.3%. The Economist declared it the fastest growing sport in America. The Sports and Fitness Industry Association estimates that 4.2 million Americans play at least once a year. That's roughly the number of people in this country who play lacrosse and ice hockey combined. Schools across the nation are adding pickleball to their phys ed curriculums. 
But here's where it gets interesting, why, why we'd bring it up on the Mockingcast. The boom appears surprisingly democratic as pickleball gains popularity across the socioeconomic spectrum. You can find courts at Carmel Valley Ranch outside Big Sur, California, and at La Casa Mobile Home Park in Northport, Florida. How can anything hover above the political fray? Perhaps a low profile is to thank. Fair or not, we've labeled the NFL conservative and the NBA liberal. I've been to two major pickleball tournaments, the writer, Craig Coyne, says, and can't remember if they even played the national anthem, let alone if anyone kneeled. Then they, they talked to like the number one ranked pickleball player in the world, female pickleball player in the world, who says, on the same court, you can have a millionaire with someone living paycheck to paycheck. No one's interested in what you do for a living, only in how long you've been playing. There's an egalitarianism to pickleball you don't often find in other sports. Why would I bring that up, do you think, on, uh, in, in, on the mocking cast? Because I'm always interested in things that rise above the political fray, uh, and especially things that people do on Sunday mornings that revise uh, that uh, mm. if you go by your local tennis club or public tennis courts on Sunday morning, I guarantee you will find a healthy pickleball collective gathered there. And sort of, so I've been interested in why, what accounts for pickleball being so fun. And so um, why does it draw people together? I think, personally, I think people are dying for something that's not political. <laughs> I think they're also dying to be together and to be outside and to have fun. Um, but this sense in which you bring nothing but sort of, it's very low entries, low cost entries, like skateboarding almost, but less mm -hmm. dangerous. Uh, it's got this communal aspect. You're close enough to talk. And then there's this sort of, uh, you know, slight it's not intimidating aspect. W w does this ring any bells for you? I think collective sports in general are a great thing. And I think I shared with you, like one of the awesome things about where we live and moving to South Florida, there is this public park near us where pretty much every day of the week, a bunch of people show up to play um, tennis together for a couple hours. And it's just been an awesome way to meet people. And most of those people, I have no idea what they do for a living. Um, I do think, you know, it is West Palm Beach. So people probably are, you know, at a certain end of the socioeconomic spectrum, but it's not, you know, it doesn't, it's not a club. It doesn't really, there's like a nominal fee, like, you know, 15 bucks or something like that. It's cheap, but it's really, really fun. And you, I'm just couldn't to know people and it's not intimidating and people are nice. And, um, I've missed that. You know, I haven't had mm -hmm. anything like that in my life for a long time. And then, you know, sometimes deeper conversations do come out of it when people find out what I, what I do for a living. And there've been numerous times when I've done funerals at churches and there are people who are there who know me from playing tennis, but had no idea what I did for a living. Mm -hmm. So that's been really fun. Um, but yeah, that's been a, a nice, nice part of my life. And there's certainly, there have not been any, um, there's been no political fighting. You know, I know that there are people from across the spectrum there, but we just sort of don't really talk about it. We just enjoy being together and sweating. And there's men and women of all ages and it's, uh, it's really, it's fun. So mm -hmm. I, I've never played pickleball, but I uh, relate to what they're talking about. Well, the, the thing about pickleball is you can play against uh, an 80 year old uh, and yeah. really have fun and you yeah. can play against a, a 12 year old and have fun. Have fun. And, yeah. and that's, there's very, very rare, very few things that can, that can do that, that can bring that together, you know, that generational divide as well yeah. as the gender divide, as well as the sort of athlete, non-athlete. There you go. Church Boom. and pickleball. What, what do you think, Sarah? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm more interested in it than I was at the beginning of the conversation, so I will give you that. Okay. Um, it's a win. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I so we live in an area where everybody plays tennis, and it's very intimidating. And I am not good at tennis at all on the times I have attempted to play, like really bad. I mean, I'm not athletic in that way. So like the ball goes like four courts over. It's not good. I'm not doing it in front of people. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so this, like, this sounds like somewhat appealing. It sounds a little easier. Um, I'm kind of getting, getting like a goofy golf vibe, which I am down for. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. My mom was always into like hot like hobbies and stuff like way before everyone else. She was like always at the front of like whatever trends were happening. So I'm not surprised at all that she was like super into pickleball two years ago and like mm. was trying to get my dad off the couch to do it with her. And now like Leonardo DiCaprio is doing it. Um, that's kind of sweet. So yeah, maybe I'll try pickleball. Well, I I think it's actually. Um you know, people don't don't have to do do whatever they want. It's it's the, but the pickleball thing is. I've had a couple of there's there's a place we like to eat sometimes on Sundays after church and um, it's close we we drive by tennis courts and you know as there's been all this hemming and hawing about church attendance and where what are people doing on Sunday mornings every time I pass the pickleball court it's jammed yeah and then I also there were uh, went on a retreat with our church of like maybe three four years ago and there were these two older ladies who brought a pickleball setup and. Oh. You know, it's those church retreats are great because you do get to interact with everyone. But Mm -hmm. I actually had I went and played pickleball with them and they're obsessed with pickleball. They like do Mm -hmm. pickleball tournaments. They're always like, I'm sorry, we can't be at such and such. We have a pickleball thing. And, you know, I just started hearing from more and more people. But there we were, uh, me and my oldest son having a blast playing this physical game with these two, I think late seventies ladies. Yeah. And I walked away from that being like, what, what just happened? This is, this felt like a positive thing. And the other thing is, um, someone paid Mockingbird the best compliment I've heard in a long time. It was, uh, someone, a, a, a friend of ours who's a Methodist said that, he thinks Mockingbird is one of, if not the last nonpartisan Christian ministry in America. Mm. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, we work really hard at that. And yeah. I'm sure we fail in sorts of ways. Everyone, sure. it's a, it's a big tent and everyone has their own sit- situation, but I, um, everyone has their own Plus, convictions. That's nice. Also pretty yeah. bleak. <laughs> yeah. Pretty bleak. I was like, I was like, <laughs> like, and, and we're not that special. Yada, yada, yada. I right, get it. Right, but at the same right, time for right. him to say that, yeah, he's like, every sort of thing I do in my denomination is about yeah. camps and factions. Oh, and for sure. I don't. Oh, yeah. And this is a person who's come to our conferences, who's done such and such a things with us. And I just thought to myself, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that really moved me. And, um, that is so mean. I mean, I have to say, like, it, it can become so, it can really make me sad, just even the smallest choices that get made in church settings that are politicized, like, I mean, I think a lot about things like children's curriculum for Sunday school and how politicized that can become. And it's just like, it's just such a, it's, I don't know, it, it, it I can see the appeal of this, that people can just show up with you know, little to no investment and just an eagerness to be in community. Um, Plus, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about yeah. play, you know, and about how everything yeah. in our culture is tied to economics, efficacy, you know, life hacks. Like, we rest so we can work. We play so we can work. We, you know, whatever it is. And this is just a, a seems like a maybe, at least for the moment, a pure agendaless 
just play, you know, unadulterated play without consideration for what else it might it might be doing. And that's in and of itself something to be celebrated, I think. And it's something that also brings out the playful side of people that you'd never yeah. seen before. Yeah. I think that, you know, people, I didn't, when I was playing with these 80-year-old women, we'd, we'd really just talked about like super serious things that most of our wow. time together at a retreat. And maybe we talked about kids or something like that, but to just play with them, it just, I, I felt it was a, a kingdom of God moment in a way that maybe is, I'm making too much of this, but I see people yearning for an escape uh, uh, from the tirades and the mm. um, and the stone casting that goes on. And this is, uh, you know, we're about to talk about social media again because it's been in the news a lot. Um, but I Can read- I just offer something really quick? Yeah. Um, because... I'm not sportsy and I, but I love this idea of pickleball, but I keep, it keeps reminding me of something that um, my friend Joseph showed me earlier this week. It's a, um, it's on the roof of the Met um, in New York city. And it's a sculptor, Alex DeCourt. I hope I'm saying his name right. And it's the video of it is just, I just wept when I watched it, but he basically, it's this giant, um, blue, it's like um, Big Bird from Sesame Street, only blue, and he's sitting on a moon, and he's holding a ladder, and he's hanging off of this very modern sculpture, and it was just so um, unencumbered by everything we're trying to sort of agenda eyes right now. I don't know. There was something so beautiful and playful and free of agenda about it that it just made me cry, and so, um, that's if so pickleball is cool. not your thing. Just look at <laughs> the video. Is It's just, it's, I found it to be so moving and he, Dave, you would love this guy. He like puts on, um, sort of costumes or, or he kind of cosplays as different artists. And so he actually does the entire interview as Jim Henson. Oh my goodness. It's just, it's just so moving. So anyway, I, I mean, I think we're all kind of seeking what this, you know, we all have a, a, a pickleball sort of longing right now. And, and for me, this piece of art really just, you know, it, it, it just it's, did it. I think when we talk about being on the, on the lookout for signs of grace and, and, you know, yeah. how it's playing out, these are the sorts of things we're talking about. Yeah. By the way, Sarah, to answer your question, do the Muppets make an appearance in my new book, Low Anthropology? <laughs> the, the answer is there are numerous, numerous pages uh, throughout the book that discuss You're the, like, the they're legacy actually on the cover, of Jim so. Henson. I always thought my editor's going to nick some of the Muppet stuff. But um, <laughs> the only thing that got nixed was the Weird Al stuff. What? So that's, uh, you know, well, it's just. What? A, it was, it was, listen, you have I to see you the director's cut. Full bore. Full bore Muppets and full bore That's at Weird Al. You're asking you a lot of people. So I think the Muppets was seen as a slightly more um, democratic, shall we say, <laughs> Oh my God, I love it. Um, uh. Well, what I was saying is that uh, we're, it's coming out more and more as, as the, the motivations behind these algorithms oh on social God. media is revealed that we're just incentivized to, it becomes a competition to who can hate the other yes. side the best. Delicious you know, anger. Comedy. Can we just like stop for just a second though? Like, the fact that people are surprised is so annoying to me. <laughs> it's so like, I'm just like, really? Like it's so it's, it's the, but I mean like it is the whole thing. Like if you lead a life of high anthropology, you will be constantly pissed off at everyone. You know, yep. like you're just like, why are you surprised? Anyway, 
Well, RJ, you forwarded an article from the Washington Post. I'm not reading that one, but something it just, it, it's yeah. The, it, Articles that get an angry uh, response get five are, points, have, and ones that get a like get, like get one five point points. They, they just, I mean, you're yeah. right. It's not a it's not a new discovery, but that angering it anger like engages people. Rage I mean, engages people much more yes. than than uh-huh. liking something does. I, I won't say more than loving something does, and and I guess yeah. it feels just so revealing and so true to everything that. Jesus said about where unclean things come from. And yet something about it seems unique as well, because I'm not sure if we've ever had the types of machines that we currently have in our culture that feed our anger uh, and and our insatiable anger in quite such a powerful way. You know what I mean? Like maybe back in the day you read a newspaper article that sort of made you angry, but then it didn't immediately lead to another one that made you more angry and another and another and another and another and another. And then join you with other people who will stoke your anger no matter where they live. And it does – it feels a little bit more – it feels unique and it feels um, scary in a certain kind of way that we've been feeding this anger machine. And I'll be honest with you, anger – you know, I'm, I'm not above it. Like anger feels nice. You know, it feels, it's very satisfying in a way. It makes you feel important. It sort of gets your juices flowing a little bit, but it's so, it's not, it's not constructive. You know, it's, um, yeah. 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 Well, this is a, a kind of a novel take on it, I thought, in The Atlantic from Ian Bogust. I'm not sure. Bogust. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Bummer um, of a last name. It's called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us know, Ian. Okay. Uh, Sarah, I thought it has a, has a, a slightly Condon-esque title, uh, Ooh, this article. Uh, okay. uh, people aren't supposed to talk this much. Ooh. <laughs> yes. I thought you might appreciate that. I love that. Our social life, he writes, has a biological limit. And that limit is 150. That's the number proposed by the British psychologist Robin Dunbar three decades ago. It's the limit of people with whom you can have meaningful relationships. We can reasonably expect to develop up to 150 productive bonds, but we can have our most intimate relationships with only about 5 to 15 closest friends. Some might say 12. Um... We can maintain much larger networks, but only by compromising the quality of those connections. He goes on to say, a lot is wrong with the internet, but much of it boils down to this one problem. We are all constantly talking to one another. Take that in every sense. Before online tools, we talked less frequently with fewer people. The average person had a handful of conversations a day, and the biggest group she spoke in front of was maybe at a wedding reception or a company meeting, a few hundred people at most. It's past time to question a fundamental premise of online life. What if people shouldn't be able to say so much and to so many so often? The capacity to reach an audience some of the time became contorted into the right to reach every audience all so, so of the Bo time. So Burnham, by the way. This is just like, yeah, anyway, uh, continue. Yeah. The rhetoric about social media started to assume an absolute liberty always to be heard. Any effort to constrain or limit users' ability to spread ideas devolved into nothing less than censorship. The more posts, the more followers, the more likes, the more reach, the better. This is how bad information spreads, degrading engagement into calamity the more attention it accrues. This isn't a side effect of social media's misuse, but the expected outcome of its use. As the media scholar Siva Vaihirnatan puts it, The problem with Facebook is Facebook. Imagine, this is what Bogus writes, if access and reach were limited by default, 
the way it is, you know, 240 characters, well, yada, yada, yada. What if, for example, you could post to Facebook only once a day or a week or a month or only to a certain number of people? Or what if after an hour or a day, the post expired Snapchat style? That wouldn't stop bad actors from being bad, but it would reduce their ability to exude that badness into the public sphere. Just imagine how much quieter it would be online if it weren't so loud. <sighs> Limits. I, I, he's not talking censorship. He uh, seems to be proposing, what if you could only make five comments on uh, Facebook a day or make one post? Would that change things? I, I, I don't know. It feels, like the, it feels like the genie is out of the bottle on a lot of this stuff, but there is increasing discussion of regulation, and I, I hope that there will be some sort of progress made along that, those lines. Um, but... Uh, where are you guys with this? Do we, are we talking too much to too many people? Uh, is it naive to think we shouldn't? Uh, is it censorship? I don't know. I mean, I think it's a weird thing for me that I think is probably true for a lot of people where there's like a lot of bad parts to it. But then like also like I feel connected to people from high school who I really have enjoyed getting to know you know, as an adult, um, and all, you know, and also like, there's like a lot of bad stuff too. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, it's a complicated thing. Mm -hmm. Um, there are people that I know through social media who I like, cannot wait to meet in person, you know, who I really love and value. Um, Jason Medeiros and his wife, Jennifer are people that come to my mind that like, I've only ever like, like I've never met them in person, <laughs> but like, like I once had a dream that I had dinner with them in Memphis and it was such a sweet dream, you know, and I only know them through social media. So yeah. like, I don't know, there's, there's like a lot of beauty there too. I, I don't engage, um, especially like the more I become an adult, I don't engage a lot of the vitriolic. I don't engage any of it, mm. honestly. Even if I totally agree with it, I'm just like, nope, you mm. know, um, because no one's mind. I mean, we've talked about this incessantly. No one's mind ever gets changed in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a real conversation. I think the moment that we think it's like, especially when it's like a back and forth and a disagreement, the moment we think that's a real conversation, like it's just everything's lost. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, mean, I mean, I I definitely have a stronger emotional pull towards Facebook, which is like weird now that like everyone is supposed to not like it. Um because it makes me feel connected to family right. and it makes me feel connected to like, you know, my parents, adult friends, um, in a way that feels really important and validating in the season that I'm in. So I don't know if that will still be true in a few years, but it's definitely true now. Yeah. And let's, let's acknowledge the irony, by the way, that we are talking right now and we talk a lot and we, right. uh, Mockingbird is based on this sort of ability to do this, this kind of thing. Well, we're, not, we're not that popular but, um, though. Thank yeah. God. So <laughs> yeah, thank God. Lord save us. RJ, what do you have to say? It made me think of what, um, someone said to me recently. I don't know who said this and they couldn't remember either. And I was just trying to find it online. Of course, that hell is getting everything you want. Hell is getting everything mm. you want. And what, what the algorithms on Facebook are designed to do is to give you what you want and to give you more and more and more and more and more of it. And what we found is that people um, want, enjoy being angry. 
you know, enjoy yeah, yeah. Um, hating things. And uh, Facebook satisfies that insatiable need or desire, as does Twitter. Yeah. What we what we actually want. What we say what we, we say. We actually want is to be angry yeah. all the time, or and also actually kind of to be scared all the time. We actually we, to be righteous, to feel justified. Yeah, yeah, but also why fear is also somehow scratches a very profound itch as well. As well. I, I mean, it's it's like a Paleolithic itch, yes. right? Like it's. I mean, just to name it, like there's something in our DNA that's like if you're afraid and you're angry, then you're surviving the campfire with all the other cave people. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? Like there's something like intrinsic at us that that does and and also sin, right? I mean, like and so I mean, I think those are those well, two things. And then I've also go in the hand. last ten days, I don't know why I hadn't listened to this, but I'm finally listening to um, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which I hadn't listened to any of. Uh. Which is which is really interesting, <laughs> right? Oh, you because have. Um, you know he. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, what's his name? Mark. Uh, what is his name? Mark Driscoll. <laughs> thank Mark Driscoll. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a part of me that listens to him, and and, I'm, and first of all, it's like, okay, he's clearly very smart. He's very talented. He built a massive church. Mm-hmm. He did have a, po- a mm-hmm. positive, uh, profoundly positive effect on a lot of people, and a lot of people came to believe in Jesus because of him, and it all ended really, really badly. And part of it is he got everything he wanted. You know, he got everything Ooh. he wanted. He built the church he wanted. He got the power he wanted. He had the platform he wanted. He probably f- experienced the financial success he wanted. Um, and honestly, that's what I want too. But he's an example yeah. of like, hell is getting everything you want. You know? Mm. And mm. RJ, you have got a sermon in you about this that I yes. can't wait <laughs> well, to I am, preach. I like, am going to talk about... Like, that's a, I think I'm going to talk about so anger insightful. this Sunday, actually. I'm going to... Because the passage yeah. is... It's about love. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that's it's hard to sort of preach on because it, yeah. it feels so rote and you can talk with the law and the gospel, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think I'm going to talk about hate, right. hatred. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think I'm going to talk about hatred. hatred. Anger. Anger versus love. You know, something that's something there, but mm-hmm. um, well, I think you can also be angry about love. You know, you can you can talk in an angry tone about love. Aren't, aren't some uh, some of the angriest voices I know, or the ones who are shouting at you to love? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, it's yeah. like it doesn't. Yeah, it's that dispositional thing we've it's talked about. It, it doesn't quite that's compute. Accept right. yeah. me, or I'll kill yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I yeah. hope I want to hear more of your thoughts on the, the the that podcast. You know, they I actually got interviewed for it um, this past week, and um, I, I who knows what I said. I hope it comes off uh, in a winning way, uh, winning. remotely, because I feel that 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 podcast is not only getting so much traction. I think it is really uh, is. We're going to talk about the last article today. It's um, it's genuinely triggering people that are having a post-traumatic stress mm. from, uh, because, you know, as, as, as much good things that as, as much impact as this person and purpose that as Mark Driscoll gave people, he really hurt, wounded people on the deepest level that is, um, that I've noticed many times in my travels. Um, you know, we have a Thursday morning men's Bible study, which is fantastic. And two of the guys there are, um, professors at Palm Beach Atlantic University, which is this you know, college two blocks away. It is a, it's, it's a non-denominational Christian school, but, you know, um, you get a lot of students there who are in kind of Mark Driscoll-style mega churches. And these two professors had independently 
that that podcast is really rocking a lot of um, their students' worlds and calling into question mm. um, their their faith, um, their desires, you know, um, what they're looking for in a leader, how they view their faith, how historically rooted it is, and it's it's having a a, a major impact on um, on their kids, which I think is. Mm fascinating so it's uh yeah it's quite a thing well before we get to actual religion let's get to uh, seculosity or faux religion um pseudo religion and this is sarah the might um i can't wait to hear your thoughts on this Uh, rj i just don't talk again the rest of the episode Um, (laughs) just kidding uh no please 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 it's called it's an article about the dark side of wellness by Uh ava wiseman in the guardian and this is a new term for me. Have you guys heard the term conspirituality? Oh, God. No. Conspirituality. In 2011, sociologists Charlotte Ward and David Voas coined the term conspirituality. Ward defined it as a rapidly growing web movement expressing an ideology fueled by political disillusionment and the popularity of alternative worldviews. It describes the sticky intersection of two worlds, the world of yoga and juice cleanses with that of new age thinking and online theories about secret groups covertly controlling the universe. They talk at length here about QAnon. It's a place where you might typically see a vegan influencer imploring their followers to stick to a water fast rather than getting vaccinated, or a meditation instructor reminding her clients of the dangers of 5G. It's a place where the word scamdemic might comfortably run up the side of a pair of yoga pants. While the overlap of left-wing magazine-friendly wellness and far-right conspiracy theories might sound surprising, the similarities in ways of thinking the questioning of authority, of alternative medicines, the distrust of institutions are clear. But something is happening accelerated by the pandemic. The former is becoming a mainstream entry point into the latter. It's become clear both by the products they buy and the choices they make that many people trust their influencers more than their own doctor. Dr. Timothy Caulfield has studied the subject for decades, but has never seen it taken as seriously as it is right now. The World Health Organization is calling uh, this conspirituality an infodemic. He says the toleration of wellness pseudoscience has helped fuel the current situation. But in her... Uh, they then profile at the end a TikTok star named Abby Richards, who does uh, videos about disinformation. Apparently, she's great. In the monological thinking section of one of her videos, she explains how everything is connected to a rejection of authority. If you don't believe in climate change, you're saying you don't trust the scientists. If someone is feeling discontented, these ideologies provide them with a sense of community and someone to blame. Um. Community here, belonging, yet again, is at the center of a lot of things that are sort of replaced religion in our lives, I think. Um, We see that in, but we see that in political movements, mainstream political movements. We see it definitely in sort of niche political movements, whether that be the far left or the far right. And here you have this, this weird... I don't even know if it's that weird, but this marriage of uh, wellness and kind of a, you know, the corporations are poisoning all of us uh, with this sort of, and also there's a secret group that's, you know, controlling everything. It's, um, and they talk about a lot of people. I don't want to make light of it because I know this is, this strikes at the heart of a lot of family dynamics today. And it also, um, you know, who's, uh, I'm not so certain about anything, you know, what, what do I know? But I know that it's a strain. Anytime you see worlds that don't, shouldn't be talking to each other, 
um, getting along really well, uh, it's worth noting what's going on. And that's what's that's part of what's happening here. They also uh, Wiseman also mentions that this is we have to remember that this is big business. The wellness is is business, and oh for sure they're trying to sell yeah. you things always, and that's complicated when it gets to sort of politics. But Sarah, what do you think? Um, I mean, I am I didn't know there was a word for this. I am pretty aware of it in the marketplace because I am like on Instagram a lot, and I get ads a lot, and there are certain. Um, mm. I laughed when you were reading this because I saw the funniest, um, I was following this woman who said that she went, I think it was to her dermatologist and her dermatologist was like, what is wrong with your hair? She was like, well, I mean, I only wash it once a week. And the dermatologist was like, who told you to do that? And she was like, the internet, <laughs> because like there's so many products right now where it's like, it'll come out and it's like, you all, you should all, it's terrible for your hair to wash it. Every, you should only wash it once a week. And so mm. everyone's like, it's just bizarre. And, you know, I think that's sort of a small example, but I, I do think on a, on a serious note, I think this stuff has a huge impact on specifically like women's health. Mm. Um, and it bums me out because, you know, we know, uh, the research tells us that, uh, you know, one of the, what is it, I think the number one disease for killer of women is heart disease because like we already aren't going to the doctor. Right. And then we have these people. It also, for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Dave overlaps with some of the grief stuff I've talked about in here where oh, it's like yeah. people with no education yeah. are grief experts on the internet, you know, with tens of thousands of followers and like it kind of gets at that last article maybe maybe yeah maybe we should I mean, think twice about before giving everyone the microphone but that, that yeah. that's a dang that's a slippery slope as i know it really is but it's, rj what what are you um well i see you pro there, there's no wellness culture in southern florida no not at all hmm. um <laughs> well i i relate very much to what this article is talking about because i um i know somebody you know who's and i want to be careful, I want to keep it fairly anonymous, but I know someone who had a member of their family come down with a deadly disease, um, and their response to it was, um, we're going to beat this thing um, by changing our diet, you know, and, and eating right. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and then uh, finally... Towards the end, they uh, were trying to raise money from family and friends for a, um, another remedy that was going to be the secret, um, and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't do it. And then um, this member of their family died, you know, passed away, and mm -hmm. and and left behind a spouse and children, and it was just really tragic. You'd think that after experiencing the death of a loved one, the premature death of a loved one because of an unwillingness to engage with modern medicine that you might be, you might rethink that, but it's like it upped the ante, you know, it, 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 it was, mm -hmm. it, it just, and I, you know, I, I'm speculating a little bit. I'm playing armchair psych psychologist, but it was just sad to see. And I'm, I'm, I was just trying to think, what is that about? And I, you know, part of the first answer I had in my mind is like, part of it, I feel like is just arrogance a little bit, you know, like, have we talked mm -hmm. about how, if you, you know, they, they did a study where they um, charted vaccine hesitancy by levels of education. And um, people who had not gone to high school or didn't have a GED had a pretty high level of vaccine hesitancy. And then if they graduated high school, it went down. If they graduated college, it went down. Had they had master's, it went down. But then if you had a PhD, it was the highest of all. 
Yes. What? People with PhDs <laughs> have the highest level of, ve- of vaccine yeah. hesitancy. It's, it's fascinating. fascinating. So I think there's a certain level of arrogance and I know better, you know, and then I think there's yeah. also, there's some kind of Gnostic purity thing going on yeah, it's you know, you know, where, where, yes. it's, where it's like, I can like, I'm, yes. uh, you know, my body is a temple and I can purify yeah. it. I can make it right. You know, yeah. like, and even if you're, and a lot of these people I'm talking about are Christians, you know, they're not, they're not, but sure. there is some sense of like, if I could just purify my body and it's like, yeah. why do you think that's even a possibility? You know, like, where, right. where does it say that we have these pure bodies? We don't. Your body is as much of a mess right. as your mind and your heart and your soul, perhaps more so. Yeah. You know, so yeah. so all you yeah. all you're trying to do is is mitigate. The, you know, the the reality is you're just trying to mitigate this thing that is decaying and dying. Sorry, like once you what do you yeah. once you reach what twenty six yeah. or something like. Your every you know right. your mind starts to decline, your health declines, your joint declines, and maybe you can stave that off a little bit. But like no one's getting out of here alive, so just give up and do the best you can, and and also like stop thinking you know better than everybody else. You know, have a mm. little humility. Mm. Yeah, RJ, I really appreciate you saying this because my gut reaction, and it felt kind of. I'm glad you said it because you said <laughs> it better than I did. Because my gut reaction was just to be like, oh, they're just all afraid of dying. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's what, when I look at social media and kind of all of the different, you know, things I can buy to make myself look younger and that the purity thing is real. Like, it's like, how are you going to get your body, you know, to the, to it's like purest level. And it's yeah. like, what is that even? And if like, I can do what? that, nothing will touch me. Yeah. You well, know? what you're saying though, is to, tr- to try to find a bridge to people that on one level, it's easy to sort of look at and, and either uh, distance yourself from or ridicule or just blame. Yeah. But to find a bridge, the bridge would be that we're all afraid <laughs> of dying. And uh, I know yeah. people yeah. who have triple vaccinated and wearing a gazillion masks all the time. And I, what I see when I look at them is just, is absolute fear of death as well. And so it's a, For sure. this is a, it's playing out in different ways and, and that not all things are created equal here. I don't want to suggest that, but I think that if I can see that as a, it's a control thing, it's a purity thing. We all want to be able to think that if I can just control what goes into me, then I will sort of fix my heart or I will be, stave Avoid off death. death. Yeah, um, well, then yeah. I can find a real, uh, I think, a. Uh, a note for compassion. As compassion, we all know, especially yes. when it comes to vaccine versus anti-vaccine, yelling at the other side doesn't no. do anything. It just makes yeah. it just makes everyone uh, hate each other a little bit more precisely. Um, yes. And so what you're saying is helping me right now because I, I certainly have, have seen this in my own community. Um, Sarah? I just, I would say like I don't, how would I say this? I don't think it's possible to build a bridge. I mean, I don't want to be too... Hmm like negative but I actually don't think that's possible especially like a mutual bridge of understanding where we talk about like how we're all afraid I actually think the only thing that could help these people is like the is like the real gospel I actually Mm. think it's the only thing that can help them because Mm. to say like well we're all gonna die and and these a lot of these people are Christian, but I actually don't think they <laughs> they hear a false gospel. Um, I don't think they hear the truth about death. Um, I don't think 
you know, I mean, I, it's interesting to me in a lot of these, I mean, gosh, this is going to sound judgmental, but here we go. You know, in some of these like Mark Driscoll, like churches, kind of the only experience that seems to matter is the one that is happening if you are between the ages of 25 and like 45. Yeah. And things like death and things like birth um, aren't things that you necessarily see at your church all the time or ever at all, right? And yet these are like hugely important parts of actually being Christian. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I just... Yeah. It also, I just have to say, like, this idea of purity just sucks. Like, it doesn't sound like fun. Like, I mean, yeah. as someone who watched her mother go on and off Atkins for several decades, it, it just is like, what to what end? I right. don't know. Well, purity, it's so, I always find it to be deeply ironic that we have a lot of people decrying the purity culture that destroyed them in, um, in, oh, uh, in, in sort of, in, in like a Driscoll fashion and this sort yes. of hyper religious form. Yes. And then they, uh, and they just pivot, uh, to, pivot to another other yeah. form of yeah. purity of uh, political views or it's, purity of it's diet. It's heartbreaking and it though, just, isn't it? Like, but it speaks to something there's very deep, um, going on uh, in the human spirit. And I, you're right. Just being able to empathize or build a bridge is never enough. It's, 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 but it is certainly um, better than just hating them. And it's, um, yeah, well, I don't, I mean, that's not, that won't get us anywhere at all. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and I am trying to think, cause now I, cause now I feel like a jerk. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to how I feel every time we record the podcast. It is, it is, um, it's helpful to think about all the ways in which your, in which my actions and my beliefs are totally inconsistent. You know, that we're mm. all, we all act in, inconsistently, mm-hmm. right? And we all say we believe one thing and then we act completely differently. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I, you know? can I, can I plug something? <laughs> I have a new, I have a new term for this, by the way. What would it be? What would it be? In, in the, in the new book, in the upcoming book, Low oh, Anthropology, yes. coming to yes. you in 2022 What's the release date? from Brazos Press. It hasn't been released, uh, hasn't uh, been announced yet, but I, I, I was trying to think up a term, like a catchy term for what you're talking about of, of, yeah. you know, knowing what you should do is not the same thing as doing it. We have, we do yeah. not follow our own advice. We are inconsistent yeah. creatures and that is across the board. Um, Thank you, Will McDavid, for coining the term doubleness. We're all doubled. Oh. Yeah, I think I, I was going conflictedness, inner conflict. These are good words, but doubled, I think, yeah. is a is a it rolls off the tongue better. What else were you saying? Well, I was going to say, like, I was just wondering what what's the realm in which I yearn for purity, you know? Mm. And right now, it probably has like right at this exact moment, it has something to do probably with work. Mm-hmm. Right, that if I could just mm-hmm. find the right work schedule, the right work mm-hmm. rhythm, the right leadership structure, yeah. the right time structure, you know, if I can just sort of like s- take a spiritual retreat, you know, and really figure, like, get focused on what really matters, yeah. you know, then I will find um, the kind of uh, peace and rest that I want. And then so people badly. would also come to your church in larger numbers. Too. Then maybe yeah. anyone, well, maybe anyone would come to my church, <laughs> you know, if I could get my act together. What about, what about um, having the purest theology? I mean, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. I got it right. Yeah. Sorry. That's... I might've given, have I given up on that? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> this week you have. Yeah. So there, right. There's all, we all seek secret knowledge and, yeah. and, and, um, and I will say part of listening to the Mars Hill podcast is like, it's a lot of like, you know, Christian church leaders who spent a lot of time thinking about what church ought to be 
and how mm-hmm. to do things the right way. And I'm like, gosh, when's the last time I thought about that? I'm just kind of playing in the sandbox and then <laughs> see, you know, <laughs> seeing what happens. Um, maybe I should be more strategic. So, well, you, you, know, live, we you, all, live, we all you live in that world. I think uh, we're going to, on our website, Zach Verum, who's a wonderful guy here in Charlottesville, he wrote something very much related to, he doesn't mention this Rise and Fall of Mars Hills podcast, um, but he wrote about it called Faith After Exvangelical Deconstruction. Deconstruction is something we've talked about. It's not Derrida. It's we're talking about people um, unwinding uh, the sort of quote unquote toxic elements of their faith uh, years later. And um, we've we've talked about deconversion is another word for it, or sort of a different version of it. Um, but it's it's become a bit of a a catchphrase or a, um, a buzzword. Uh, but it's describing something real. People want to talk about this. It's it's everywhere right now. And so I couldn't. Um, I think Zach does a does a particularly fine job. Of, of of really approaching this with compassion, not only for other people, but for himself. He says, if I take stock of the past decade of my life, I can say without hyperbole or cliche that it is miraculous that I am still a Christian. It is, truly is by God's hand alone that I continue to be compelled by Jesus, particularly as I consider the unique expression of Christianity that I and many other millennials like me grew up with in uh, across fundamentalist evangelical youth groups and college ministries in the first decades of the 21st century. If I had remained in that world and continued to experience uh, a version of Christianity primarily if informed by law, I would have almost certainly hung up the towel and called it quits. Skimming the exvangelical and deconstruction hashtags on Twitter, it is clear that many millennials who grew up in a similar cultures are also taking stock of their youth and young adulthoods and have chosen to, quote, give back their entrance ticket. I write this with the hindsight provided by years of separation. I don't think I would have labeled the communities I grew up in as fundamentalist from the inside, and I wouldn't have considered their theologies or cultures destructive. Uh, to be honest, I didn't really have the vocabulary to consider the possibility of alternative expressions of Christianity even existing. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that I grew up in spaces which, if not explicitly fundamentalist, were fundamentally driven by judgment and shame. You might say this Christianity was well-intentioned, but it was deeply flawed nonetheless. I can draw on example after example, and I'm pretty confident that those who grew up in similar environments can finish the script for me. A generation was fed a version of Christianity which was so entwined with culture wars, social control, and power that the only logical solution for many was to walk away from the project entirely. When the years that form your psychology and your symbolic framework for understanding the world bind the gospel to a specific political vision or sociological order, how are you supposed to begin untangling that? Can you untangle it at all? He closes by saying, I don't buy the notion that millennials are uninterested in religion and spirituality. Far from it. It's a community that is deeply invested in thinking about God, but doesn't know how to untangle God from a culture that made God unintelligible. Our interest in God hasn't mysteriously disappeared, but for many it has been forced underground, outside of the orthodox venues for religious thought, because of the Pavlovian connection between Jesus and the toxic cultures which formed their earliest sense memories. However, God continues to graciously teach us how to work out whatever faith or lack thereof we have with creativity and compassion, regardless of how stuttering or frustrated that process is. God continues to plant seeds and nourish them, regardless of how scorched the garden soil is. When I say with musician Lucy Dacus that it's like embedded, it will never leave, 
I say that about both the harmful culture within which I learned about God and the mustard seed of Jesus's gospel message that continues to sprout and grow, though I know not how. It's a beautiful piece. He, he goes on, he talks a lot about music in there and uh, people who are wrestling with this in an honest way, not in a way that sort of um, where you fall in love with your... Um, your doubts or your uh, your baggage, shall we say? But I thought Zach added something to the uh, because he he says basically there was a lot of bad and that it's taken a long yeah. time to unwind, but there was also some good things that were planted there that I think uh, I'm not I'm only God is still continuing to use. Um, and I do think it's sort of miraculous. I, sometimes I remember talking to someone once about this and saying like. Uh, you're like walking through quicksand, given how much you were the 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 the, the amount of baggage you were given um, related to God and Jesus. If you never want to use those words again, I I kind of understand, and um, and yet I I also still think there's value there, and I think that you know Jesus is so uh, much larger than the set of concerns you have from the ages of 16 to 24. <laughs> um, yeah. This past week, I was thinking about it this past week at our at our church, we were, you know, um, you listen to the Mars Hills podcast and people are living in this alternate world of sort of, you know, religious performancism and uh, being, taking over a city for the kingdom of God and, and, being pious in very specific ways and gender roles and uh, stuff that is, you know, seem feels extremely important to them. And then I'm at a church where, you know, what we're actually dealing with is, uh, you know, a father who dies at the kitchen table with three young children and the parents, the kids that are, and 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 the, and, the, and, and the, his parents that are having to go through with that. I'm dealing with potential cases of serious abuse. We're we're, we're talking about uh, R.J. Right before we got on this call, he was counseling yet another person who's crying because someone died. And like, these are the things of life that mm-hmm. when you when when Christianity is simply this vehicle of behavior management that's so anxious and neurotic you lose out on the you, that same vocabulary springs to life when when the, the awfulness occurs which it does you know and which is you know from age sometimes when you're 18 but it's going to happen in your in your 30s your 40s your 50s your 60s your 70s your 80s it's going to happen at some point when the all the rest of life occurs sarah all the stuff you were talking about i i know i'm preaching a little bit here but i just thought zach's piece was bold and courageous and interesting and not naive, um, but hopeful. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I'm always talking about like how God uses, um, situations like this to keep people in the faith or to call them back to faith. And I, I, I've said this before, but I, I, you know, sometimes I can't help but feel thankful that like, I feel like I was given a real, um, like non-specific sort of general, mostly pretty liberal, you know, version of Christianity as a kid. We just were always like not Southern Baptist, you know, that's how we identified. And that like, there's not a lot of that stuff for me to to pull apart. Yeah. Um, and that I, I, you know, and I, I think I can really kind of be down on like, well, you know, I didn't get, I didn't learn the Bible and I didn't learn this. I didn't learn that. And then sometimes I'm like, Oh, like, you know, especially given what I'm going through right now, I'm thankful for like, 
that I had kind of a non-specific Christianity. And then as I moved closer and closer into, I mean, this makes us sound like our own weird cult, but Mockingbird and sort of the theology I learned there, which is in the Bible. Um, the <laughs> more that secret. I, the more, it's not secret. The more that I kind of, um, I, I was given just a gentle version of, of God's grace and love for me. And I'm, you know, I mean, I think that is helping me to weather the season. So, but I do think it's super brave for him to, to talk this way um, from either end. Cause I think what, what people who have left those denomination, those bigger church kind of mentalities, when they've left, they just want everyone to be super pissed. <laughs> You know, a lot of the time that anyone would say anything positive about them. Yeah. Um, so I think it's pretty brave of him to say, well, there, you know, there were some positive things. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this does feed into sort of the, we were talking about Megan O'Geeblin a couple weeks ago, and she's saying this, it's not as simple as just being like, I'm done with all that. It's a, yeah. there, there are some, um, you're going to find something else to, uh, there's ambivalence. Um, it's yeah. not as clear. I mean, it's not, I have a student this year who grew up in a church like this and had no idea that anything like like non non denominational giant churches existed. Yeah. Like it is like that's still a real phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Like um so I don't know. I mean I, I it's it's I Yeah. RJ, what what are you 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 look like you're about to say something. I was speaking with someone in my church who's older, who's um in their 70s. Um and they were confessing to me that in their 20s, they walked away from a church that sounds similar to what um, the author is describing, and really for the last kind of 50, 60 years um, have, uh, have been sort of thinking that they were beyond saving, mm. you know? Um, and as they get older, have been thinking about things, and I don't know, starting to dare to hope that God might still love them like means that, might yeah. might 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 forgive them for the mistakes they've made mm -hmm. you know um might still be open to having a relationship with them and as i i talked to this person and you know anyway assured them that they were god's child and actually they had you know that they were loved and forgiven and seen and um anyway they just they wept so and that was 50 years ago you know so i don't think this is a new phenomenon let's put it that way yeah yeah, yeah. and yet the other thought i had and i i had this thought as I was listening to Mars Hill and as we're talking now, is um, there is no pure church. Right. There is no pure Christian. Mm, there are right. no pure leaders. Right. Everything is a mixed bag. There are some contexts which are more abusive than others, that are worse sure. than others. Sure. But in the same way that it's, a, it's just a joke to think that you could eat in such a way and exercise in such a way and live in such a way as to purify your body— it's also a complete joke to think that you can ever get this ministry thing right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all a mixed bag. There is mm -hmm. no perfect home this side of the kingdom. And I experienced some, not quite the hard-edgedness, but I experienced some of what this person experienced in my youth as well. And yet I do think that God works it all together. You know, and as a, as a Christian leader, I know there are going to be ways that I profoundly blow it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure mm -hmm. that there are going to be ways that I injure people mm -hmm. without intending to, or sometimes yeah. intending to, you know, in yeah. the same way that I do with my kids. Yeah. You know, um, 
And so, and there is grace for the um, yes. leader, you know, it, yes. it's as much as we grace don't want to say parents. that. Grace for Grace for, yes. I hate to say grace it. Grace for people who blow it. Be, I think yeah. God, God could be gracious to Mark Driscoll, you know. And God I works mean, I through, hope so. God works through sinful, broken you know? people. I'll never yeah. remember, remember Mark yeah. Galley said at the Mockingbird Conference, right? God has terrible taste in disciples. Just look around. Yeah. You know, Um, and yet God, for whatever reason, seems um, totally content to work through sinful, broken vessels like us. And he also seems to be taking his time with it. You know, that's nothing I've remembered recently. It's like, I'm always in such a hurry. God does not seem to be in a hurry at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been 2,000 years, and like, we're still waiting. I don't know how much longer we'll be waiting. Um, But... uh, I don't know. Something about the confluence of, of yeah. him talking and thinking about purity and, and, you know, just to have a right understanding of things. And, you know, what, what did Luther say? Uh, we're, we can't help but sin on this side of the veil. Like, sinning is just part and parcel of what we do because we're humans. And so sin boldly, um, but trust in Jesus even more boldly because Jesus doesn't save imaginary sinners. He only saves real sinners, you know? So to somehow, you know— Claim who we are, and and uh, and but 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 claim even more tightly God's grace for broken, you know, people like ourselves and and people who've wronged us as well. I had to, um, there was one other thing that kind of struck me is related to this, and I you know we this is sort of its last gasp here. Um, Giles Frazier, in writing in Unheard, wrote something about God save us from trendy vicars. He's writing about the English context about a, the St. Michael's Church in Bournemouth had renamed itself St. Mike's in a trendy rebrand to entice young people. And uh, but he 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 was he sort of used this as a springboard. He said formality of worship is being dropped because it is seen as a barrier to younger new younger worshippers. The big idea is that we should all get more chummy with the divine. The austere, intimidating God of fire and thunder, the God whom we approach in awe and wonder, is being replaced with the friendly face of Jesus, more mate than majesty. St. Michael was the angel of battle who defeated Satan in the ultimate celestial firefight of good versus evil. I don't think he's a Mike. It is a cliche to compare the violent, austere God of the Old Testament to the loving and warm, cuddly God of the New Testament as captured in the person of Jesus. Old Testament bad, New Testament good, but this is not Christianity. The central dynamic of Christianity is to be found in the interplay between imminence and transcendence, between the God who draws near and the God who is far off. And far off isn't a bad thing. This is the God who hovered over creation at the beginning of time. This is the God of the unknown, the one who rather put Job in his place by saying there are some things that will always be beyond his understanding. This is the God of the God's eye view, looking at things from the widest possible perspective. This is also the God of silence, there in the still small voice of calm. Christianity doesn't resile from any of this. It adds, but adds something shockingly different. God is manifest in a particular person with a name and a face. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is down to earth, quite literally, and makes God relatable in a whole new way. Jesus is God, and Jesus is my friend. For the first 400 years of the church's history, it struggled to express how both of these perspectives could be true at once, how God could be both near and far, imminent and transcendent. But what it came up with was the doctrine of the Trinity. Not so much an answer to how these different perspectives coexist, but rather a firm commitment to the idea that neither could be given up without giving up the heart of what it was to be a Christian. 
I mean, come on, man. They're just trying to keep their doors open. <laughs> I was going to say. Can you chill I, yeah, out a little I, yeah, bit? Yeah. They're, just, they're doing the best thing they know how they're to do. They're throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, yeah. God they're like, okay, yeah. there's like you know. three sad people sitting in a conference room <laughs> with a table from 1972 and wood paneling. And they're like, how about St. Mike's? You know what I mean? <laughs> and everybody's yeah, like, okay. We tried everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, yes, all of these things are true. Y- yes. Um, we may just cut this But piece. it also, it's just, <laughs> what'd you Maybe say? Maybe we just cut this segment. I just no, it all fits together <laughs> because, I mean, this is a helpful article, but again, he's saying there's some right way to do church. And I'm sorry, there's no right way to do church. There's we're not. All just, we're all just messing around. And no one, no one, no one knows what they're doing. And any, anyone who says they does it, we're lying. <laughs> and then he know. like, I mean, Dave, you're not allowed to cut this. <laughs> then he, I mean, the best part is that he like, he like wheels a Trinity out on stage. And he's like, now we're going now. Y'all aren't even doing this. And it's like, no, they're definitely not doing this at St. Mike's, honey. Why are you pulling it? They already feel bad, baby. They've got a bunch of t-shirts that say St. Mike's that nobody's wearing. And now you're hauling out the Trinity at these poor people. Give them a sandwich and say a prayer there was another so, article this week though. i feel for them it, i don't know it is so hard there's so many there's so there's an article in the atlantic and in the wall street journal this week about basically what the heck do we do how do we get people right. back maybe I mean, maybe people just don't want to come to church um i just and i'm i'm i want to say i regret saying like you know and i was making a joke the false gospel thing i mean i just I, you know, I once heard this country Baptist preacher in Georgia say, you know, somebody's been real critical about, well, this church does this and this church does that, and, you know, and he said, look, we're all just trying to explain something that can't be explained. Yes. You yeah. know, and I yeah. and I know we can go Lord into this mercy. like orthodoxy. We I know we well, but we got to teach him about you know, and it's like, I mean, yes, that is true. Yes, but first we cling to the cross. Yes. Yes. You know, and then we take off our like shiny self-righteous capes, you know, and burn them. And, and okay? we remember the whole Joss, time. Okay, we 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 are not. Um, we're in the middle of the story. I mean, which is just you don't. Yeah. We don't know. Everyone is thinking like, oh, this is the watershed of Christianity, the end of the, yes. the in the West, and you're thinking like. Maybe. I, Maybe. It, we're, Maybe. We're, we're, we don't even know Only what's God happening knows. next week. So when people trot out phrases like, we want to be on the right side of history, I think to myself, like, what, do, what the heck? We don't know any, the, the rights, we don't know anything about how history is going to unfold. I mean, it's-, it's And who do you yeah. think you are? Yeah, it's so <laughs> you know, like, crazy. You know, I tell you what, we're going to all end up on the wrong side of, of certain histories. Say, what? <laughs> preach the, what did Van Zinsendorf say? Uh, uh, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Yeah. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Like for history. That, give me a please. break. What God is doing in any of this is is something that it, it, in most ways remains to be seen. And um yes. and that's the reason for great yeah. hope, I think, because Except what we know is that it'll be good. It is good. Yeah. He's doing something good. Right. You know, I mean he made the made the Israelites wait four hundred years. Right. You know, he's made us wait two thousand years. He, yeah. he, he might make you something. wait six more months before <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, maybe what they just need to do is offer pickleball. Look. God, thoughts uh, and prayers, Saint Mike. Yeah. Maybe okay. we should print up pictures. Say, God save Saint Mike's. We're with you. I'll I'm send me a T-shirt. Hey, I'll hey, wear it. Okay. What city is this in? What city Bournemouth is this in? In England somewhere. Hey, 
If there's anyone listening in Bournemouth, go check out St. Mike's. Go check For out God, St. Go Mike's. check them out. They're and just love on them. Okay? They're trying something. Just they're right. giving it a shot. Life is, you know life what is I mean? tough. They're trying to explain it the is. unexplainable. And you know what? Yes. yes. At the, at the, I guarantee you, if you walk into that, you'll you'll find a. Cr- He'll be so happy to see and, you. And you'll find a cross somewhere. Which which. Giles, <laughs> listen to me, honey. I want you to volunteer at coffee hour. Okay. <laughs> if you're listening, I want you. To, I want you to shut your mouth and volunteer at coffee hour. Oh, okay. Well. On that note, um, All right. we love you too. Uh, uh, you guys are the best. Have a great um, re- weekend. Halloween. Halloween. Thank you. Uh, All Salt Reformation Day. That's right. All Hallows Eve. And right. um, yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank, thanks, both. Right. Right, love Bye. you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.embird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at Audio production for The Mocking Cast is provided by TJ Hester. And if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time. <laughs>